All right, let's just uh, uh, pray before, before we get started here. Father God, this morning we come to you to praise you. And Father, in part of our praise, we want to study your word, to understand it, to learn from it, to gain knowledge in it, so that with that, that you would work on our hearts through your spirit to change us. Father, that we would be more like your son. Father, that our life and our attitude would reflect him. Father, that your name would be praised for it. And Father, we need you this morning to work in us, Father, to break down any bonds that are in our heart, Father, that are tying us to this world. Father, any attitudes that we have that need to be changed. And Father, we pray this in the precious name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay. I'm really excited to uh, to teach to you from this passage this morning. And, and part of the reason that I'm excited to teach about this is because what happens uh, at the the last half here in Mark 5 is part of what I love getting together um, to talk about with people and that is that you guys all have something going on in your life right now and what we need to do is take the things that are going on in our life and look at them through the Bible and look at them through God's word so that we understand what is happening with those situations and, and what's going on in those situations and what God wants to what wants us to do with those. So the question really is, is what do we do when we face trials? How do we react to situations and struggles in our life? And I'm going to tell you right now that the answer is not, because these are things that I've been told from people in the church, from other people, from my family members through my whole life. We do not look at the situation and say things like, don't tell God how big the problem is, but tell the problem how big God is. We don't say things like, this too shall pass. We don't say things like, just count your blessings. We don't just compare our problem to other people's situations and say it's not as hard as they're going through or it's not as big as of an issue that they're going through. And we, and we don't be glad that our situation isn't as bad as other people's. We're going to get a little bit interactive here, and I know this is going to be hard for some of you. How many of you are going through something right now? How many of you are struggling with something? How many of you are mourning over a situation? How many people are struggling with sickness in your family, with death in your family? How many of you are discontent? This is something that I struggled with for a very long time. How many of you are discontent with your life, with the school situation that you're in, with your applications, with your job, with your finances? How many of you are worried? How many of you are worried what you're going to be doing this summer? worried about your job, worried about your placement, worried about your school applications, how many of you are worried about how God's going to provide for you? How many of you are being persecuted right now? How many of you are being attacked by other people? 
How many of you are being attacked by Satan where he's constantly reminding you of sin, of past sin in your life, where he keeps bringing it up and you just can't seem to get by it? How many of you are struggling with, with just planning your life? You're thinking of all the things that are coming up. You're thinking of the things that are going to happen and you're worried about them. You're thinking about them. You're dwelling on them. You're worried about your future spouse. You're, you're scoping out the prospects. You're thinking, who is it? What's she going to be like? What's he going to be like? Is this right? Should I pursue this now? Should I wait? If any of that is any of you, raise your hand. Let's throw it up. Okay, for those of you who don't have your hand raised, how many of you know what Mad Libs are? Anyone know what Mad Libs? Okay, Mad Libs is a really cool thing. And I'm really bad at it because I have no idea what a verb or an adverb or a noun are. No clue. Mad Libs is kind of this thing where it's like, there's this story and, and there's blanks in the story and you just, you insert like people's names and nouns and adjectives and, and then you read the story with all those things that you inserted because you had no idea what the story is about. So for those of you, we're going to do a Mad Libs now. Think of your head in right now, the life situation that you're going through. Think of what's going on in your life and just er insert that right here into this sermon, into this Bible. Take what's going on in your life and put it here because once you do that all of you have something that's going on now whatever you're going through whatever you're struggling with whatever sin grips you what we have to study today paints a beautiful picture of how to deal with that and how Christ wants us to deal with that so turn in your Bibles to Mark 5 and we're going to be starting at verse 21 So Mark 5:21, and we're just gonna we're gonna go through the first few verses here, and then we'll kind of spend some time dwelling upon it and, and looking at it. Um, so Mark 5:21, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. So what happened, if you remember, is that there was that really long day that Jesus had and then he sailed in a boat across to the other side of, uh, of the Sea of Galilee and there's a great storm he gets over to the other side and he heals a man who's demon-possessed and he comes right back so it's just a whole bunch of stuff a long day sails over does one thing comes right back so he's back in Capernaum now um, and as he's here he, he his boat lands and there's a great crowd uh, that gathers about him and within this great crowd, a ruler of the synagogue, verse 22, then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet. Jairus is an official of the synagogue, and part of what his job would have been, and part of kind of what he would have been doing is he would have been active in the um, the activities and, and the structure and the formation of of the synagogues as a whole. So he would have kind of been orchestrating everything that was going on uh, in the cities and the neighboring cities and working with everyone. And you have to remember that these people, this group of people that were doing this are the ones who were constantly pursuing and seeking out how they might destroy Christ. So Jairus hung out and spent time and dealt with these people. 
But here he comes with a different situation. He comes with something a lot different. Verse 23. 22. Jairus by name, and seeing Christ, he fell at Jesus' feet. And he implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. Jairus didn't come representing these people. He didn't come as one who was seeking to destroy Christ. Jairus came on his daughter's behalf. He was here for his child. And his child was too weak to do anything about the situation that she was in. She was a, she's a little girl. She's 12 years old. And what I want to do now is just in this verse is just kind of open it up and, and explore the whole situation of, of what's happening. Because you have a little girl who's too weak to do anything about her situation and a father comes on his child's behalf to seek to save her and to help her and to heal her. And what he does is he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, you come. You come to my daughter and you come see my daughter. And what I want you to do is turn to Galatians 1.15. It's just one verse, but I want you to turn here because I want you to underline it. Galatians 1.15 and 16 says, But when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. That's what Jairus is doing. As a father dealing with his child, he comes to Christ and says, I need you to come to my daughter. I need you to come to her aid, and I need you to deal with this situation. And I think there's a little bit, and I'm going to kind of unpack this statement a bit more. I think there's a little bit of a situation here where his daughter didn't quite understand her need. That her decision-making process and her comprehension wasn't quite fully there about the situation that she was in. She was only 12 years old. And she didn't know what needed to be done in her situation. She knew that she was sick. She knew that things weren't going well. She knew that her body wasn't functioning and doing things the way that it should. And she knew that she needed something to happen to her. But she was at an age where she comprehended only part of what was needed. She comprehended only part of what needed to happen in her heart. And you know what? I've, I've talked to so many people like this. I've dealt with so many people who, who know that they're sick, not physically sick, but spiritually sick. They know that something's going on. They know that they need help, but they don't fully comprehend the help that they need. They don't fully understand what needs to happen in their heart. And I've met people like this whose view of hell comes out in that way. And what they think is they're like, if I go to, if I go to heaven, that would be great. It'd be cool. There's probably going to be fun there, but it would be kind of boring. I'm more excited to go to hell because in hell, I get to hang out with my friends. My family's there. There's probably parties. Um, I get to do whatever I want, and I get to kind of 
you know, my life's mine. I can, I can deal with the things I w the way I want to. You know, they have a little bit of desire that go of going to heaven. But in their hearts, they've written this story of, of hell that just doesn't exist. And they've written this thing that isn't going to happen. It's not going to play out the way they want. And it's because they know they need something, but they don't fully comprehend what they need. And it comes out in their life. There's other people who don't even know that they need anything. They don't even realize that they need help. And probably one of the best examples of this um, is Pharaoh in the Bible. So if you want to just flip back to Exodus 5. I'm going to read a few verses, but we're going to go through it pretty quickly. So I hope you all know the story. If you don't know this story, then you need to sit down and, and read through the book of Exodus. But what's going on is, is Moses is coming back. Um, God is, is using him to to take the people of Israel out of Egypt, um, to, to bring them out of that land to a land that he has promised for them, that he has set aside for them. So Pharaoh um, is meeting with Moses, and Moses is starting to kind of go over uh, all these plagues that God is going to bring on them. Uh, it's a judgment, the judgment that God's going to bring on Egypt for for what they've been doing and for the things that have been going on and to show them who he is, to show them who he is as a God um, for his people. And what happens after the first plague uh, in, in chapter 5, verse 2? But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. So then some plagues happen, some things change. Uh, Pharaoh makes the people of Israel work harder. And then in uh, chapter 7, verse 22 and 23, this is what Pharaoh says. Or this is what happens. But the magicians of Egypt did, did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hard, and he would not let, listen, to, listen to them as the Lord had promised. And Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. So the situation happens where some miracles, uh, God does some amazing things, and Pharaoh's people do the exact same thing. They just repeat it, and it just hardens his heart even further. All right, chapter 8, verse 15. God brings a plague of frogs, and this is what happens. But when Pharaoh saw that there was a respite, so God brought the plague of frogs, and Pharaoh said, okay, I'm going to let your people go. I'm going to let Israel leave. And then the plague stops. And when Pharaoh sees this respite, when he sees this short pause, he hardened his heart, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So Pharaoh's heart got hard again. So every situation that's happening here is just creating this harder heart in Pharaoh where he just has no desire and no understanding of the help that he needs because God is hardening his heart. Still in chapter 8, verses 31 and 32, this is the last one we'll read. I'll start at verse 30. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarm of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people. Not one remained, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also. 
and did not let the people go. And this keeps happening again and again and again. And I know you all should all know the story. If you don't, go read it and you'll see what happens. But there's just this perpetual hardening of Pharaoh's heart and this perpetual thing happening where Pharaoh just does not realize that he needs help. He does not realize that he needs anything. And I think this is the extreme of the situation here where Jairus comes on his daughter's behalf. A father comes for the need of his child because his, his daughter was unable to seek her own help. We've told you this verse a hundred times. I'm sure of it. Romans 3.10 where it says, No one seeks after God. So this whole situation, this whole scenario playing out where Jesus lands on shore and there's this great crowd and then this ruler of the synagogue, a father comes up and says, you need to help my child. You need to come save her. You need to come heal her. I need to bring you to her. I think that there's a huge part of this where Jesus looks at the situation. He steps back and he can just see everything happening. And it's the exact same scenario where our heavenly father says to his son, I have people and you need to go save them. I need to reveal you to them because they don't understand what's going on. They don't realize that they're sinning. They don't realize that they need a savior. They don't understand what their heart, the state of their heart is and you need to go and save them. And Jesus sees this scenario play out and this is his response to it. Mark 5 verse 24. And Jesus went with him which is the exact same response that he had when his heavenly father said, you need to go to these people because they need saving and they don't even know they need saving and you need to go reveal yourself to them. Romans 5 says that God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we didn't even realize that we needed saving because we were trapped in our sin. We were dead, and Christ came to save us from that. Now, in Christ's journey with Jairus to go, to go see his daughter, to go, to go save her, to go heal her, there's almost kind of an, an intermission in this story because he, he goes with Jairus and starts on his way and then something happens that just helps us further understand what the gospel is. Something happens that just reveals a bigger part of the gospel to us. In verse, continue on to verse 24. And the great crowd followed him and they thronged about him. Now, the word thronged here basically is I'm best, the best way I can describe this to you and the best way to help you understand this is how many of you have ever been to a really big concert where you're kind of up front in the mosh pit area and it's just like you're squished. I'm going to interactive again. Throw your hands up. How many of you understand what I'm talking about? Throw your hands up. Come on, you got it. Okay, how many of you know, do you remember that, the line where you're waiting to get into the stadium or into wherever it is you're going and it's just like you're not even walking, you're just kind of getting pushed in through the line. Do you guys you get this? You track with me on it? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, that's thronged. That's how tight it was. That's how much pressure there was being pushed on Christ as he's going to heal this child. 
And this is what happens. Verse 25. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and she was no better off but rather got worse. So here's this woman and she's got it's it's not like her like not like she scraped her knee and it's still bleeding and it hasn't stopped bleeding. Girls, you're going to understand this way better than the guys. Guys, you'll never get this. But this is like a 12-year menstrual cycle. And I, I, I don't know it, but that sucks. Like, she's, she's been bleeding internally for 12 years. And she's gone and seen doctors about it. She's gone and seen physicians about it. She's tried to get this problem fixed. She's tried to get it dealt with. She spent everything that she had on this. And it hasn't gotten better. It's gotten worse. And it says that she's suffered much. She's suffered a lot of pain in dealing with this. And there's a lot of things that doctors would have tried and would have tried to do to try and make this bleeding stop, to try and deal with it. And you have this woman who hears reports of Jesus, and he's just come back off the boat. And she knew that she, he had left, but he's come back, he's landed, and she's, she's there, she's ready in verse 27, it says, She heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. Verse 28, For she said, If I touch even his garments, if I touch his clothes, I will be made well. The pursuit of Jesus that this woman had was for an internal healing. She knew that this is something that couldn't be dealt with any other way. She knew that was, there was a sickness within inside her, that there was something going with, on with inside her body, that she needed a bigger healing than what had been worked on over the last 12 years. She even knew that there was a deeper healing that needed to happen within her body. Verse 29, or verse 28, For she said, If I touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately... The flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? Verse 32, And he looked around to see who had done it. So you got to remember the situation. People are thronging about Christ. He's getting pushed on all sides. It's just kind of this great mob, this great horde that's just walking in the direction because that's the way most of them are going. They're going to see Jairus' daughter, um, to see Jesus do something. Everyone's touching him. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, Who touched me? And I can just picture everyone who's right beside him is kind of like, pushes back and there's like this kind of big wave that goes in the crowd because everyone's like I gotta get a wave like I don't want to be the one who touched them I don't know what's going on so everyone pushes back and his disciples are looking at this situation and they're kind of thinking what do you mean who touched you like Christ like people are are pushing on you on all sides like they're they're pressed right against you what do you mean who touched you verse 31 says and the disciples said you see the crowd pressing around you, yet you say, who touched me? 
Jesus looked around and to see who had done it. And here's the response. Here's the gospel. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before Christ and told him the whole truth. So she lays out the story. She says, I've been suffering for 12 years. I've gone and seen doctors, and they've, they've, had, they've tried things on me that just didn't work. It, it was a lot. It was more painful than the situation itself. I've, I've spent all my money on this. I have nothing left. I've got no opportunity. There's no way that I can deal with this situation. She lays that out for him. She falls before Christ, as verse 33 says, in fear and trembling. And here's Christ's response, verse 33. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. So two things happened here. She was made well and she was healed of her disease. So she came to get healing from her disease. She came to get that inward healing on her body that she couldn't do, that nothing was working, nothing was happening. She came seeking that because she knew that Christ, that Jesus would, could perform miracles, that he could do this, that he could do it instantly. So she came seeking that. And what happens is two things. She was made well and she was healed of her disease. You see, Jesus not only heals our sickness, Jesus is not only able to cure everything that goes on in our body, but he regenerates our hearts. When he heals our sickness from sin, he regenerates our hearts. And what happens is the Holy Spirit indwells within our body and it does something in our hearts. It changes something within our hearts and we are made completely well. The word here uh, in the Greek that it's used is the word sozo, and it means saved. So Christ healed her disease, and he saved her. See, the primary importance is not that she was healed of her disease. That's kind of the after fact that Christ throws in. He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. He says, daughter, my child, you're saved. Then Jesus added that she was healed of her disease. Then he puts kind of this, and your body is healed. The sickness in you is healed. But I've done the primary thing first. Now, I'm going to do a little bit of an aside here because this does not mean that coming to Jesus is going to make things all good. This does not mean that coming to Jesus is going to make your life better. Does it doesn't mean that coming to Christ is going to make your life easy. In fact, I would say that the opposite is true. So turn with me to Hebrews 11. I'd like to read the whole chapter, but I'm not going to read the whole chapter. Uh, Hebrews 11, we'll just read a couple of verses, starting at verse 36. And I just want to kind of focus in and narrow in on, on the last thing that I said there is that coming to Christ, 
heals the sickness in your heart that is sin. It heals your understanding of sin. And once you're there, you are saved. You are made well. And then the healing of a disease is just kind of an after the fact. It's something else that could happen. And, and Christ does it here just to reveal who he is. But what I want to do is re read to you uh, here Hebrews 11, verse 36, just to remind us of what's going to happen and what could happen in our life. And then we're going to spend some time talking about that. Verse 36. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in the skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And ready for this? Of whom the world was not worthy wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves on the earth. The primary thing that Jesus does, the thing that's the most important, and the thing that further reveals the gospel is that he heals the sickness in our heart and saves us, that he makes us well. So we're going to keep going on in our story and... This is where it gets a little dicey. This is where it gets good because this is what I really want to get us to after hearing the gospel, after understanding the gospel, after the gospel, gospel plays out and Jesus shows all this, the very reason that Jairus came to Christ, the very reason that he comes and says, you need to come and see my daughter, his worst fear is now played out. In verse 35, while... Jesus was still speaking. There came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? See, the time that Jesus had just spent with this woman, the time that he had just dealt with this situation, proved to be fatal for Jairus' daughter. And it was the announcement that Jairus had been dreading. It was the, the thing that he had been trying to avoid from happening, that he was doing all that he could to stop this situation from happening. And then all of a sudden, everything just comes down. And the servants come to him and say, your daughter's dead. Why trouble Jesus anymore? Why trouble the teacher anymore? Jairus, for Jairus, it was over. It's time to go home. It's time to stop. And for, for you guys, you know what? There's stuff going on in your life. There's things that you're struggling with. There's discontentment. There's fear. There's worry. There's dread. There's the unknown of what's going to happen in your life. And I just want to share Christ's response to this situation with you. Jesus overhearing what the servants had said. Jesus turns to Jairus and he says to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. One of the commentaries, uh, a guy named Woost, who, who does a lot in depth on the Greek, really, really pulls this out. And what, what I want to do is just say what kind of he says. And what Jesus is saying is, Stop being one who fears, but instead be one who believes. So Jairus just had this huge stone dropped 
this weight dropped in front of him. And, I mean, I, I don't know, but it's said that having your child die is probably one of the, the hardest, the worst things that you could ever go through, that you could ever deal with. Um, so Jairus has this, and Jesus says to him, don't be one who fears, stop fearing, but be one who believes. Now the question is, believe what? What are we to believe? Be one that believes that God can do all this prior stuff that he just did. Where God, where Jesus responds to Jairus and says, I'll come with you, I will go. Because I see this scenario playing out where a father comes for the need of his child. Jesus says, I'll go. Believe that. Jesus says, you see what just happened? This woman comes to me where she's unable to do anything. I saved her. I changed her heart. I healed that sickness. I worked in that. I saved her and I healed her disease. He says, believe that. Believe the gospel. Because if we put all of our weight on the gospel, if we understand what happened in the gospel, if we understand what happened in our hearts, then it's easy to believe. Because that's what you're believing. And you're just believing of something that happened within you. And you're looking back and seeing and reminding yourself that that occurred. So that when you come to this situation in your life, you just believe that. The event was big enough that it brought people from Jairus' house to come announce to him to bring all the hope that he had and destroy it. And Jairus, Jairus was afraid. And they were saying, it's time to go and mourn. And Jesus says, do not fear, but be one who believes. And I just want to read from you uh, Daniel 9. And don't turn here, just kind of sit back and listen for a second. And this is, uh, I don't know if I can find it in my Bible. I think it moved. Um, this is a, a section of scripture that I've preached on before. And I, I love this passage. Um, I love teaching on it, and I love what happens. In, and here's what, here's what goes on. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has a lot of pride in his heart, and he thinks, he's, he thinks he's done some pretty cool things. He thinks that he's the one that's accomplished everything that's going on in his life. And he gets a warning from Daniel. He says, don't have this pride. You need to watch yourself. And he keeps that pride. And a year later, what happens is, is what Daniel promised that God would do. And brings him down uh, he, he brings him down to a place where Nebuchadnezzar the king thinks that he's an animal and lives in a field for seven years eating grass his nails grow long and he's just brought to a place where his, his mental acuity is nothing where it's just like you can it's not even a child because he eats grass and that's all that he does and he does this for seven years and at the time comes where God reveals himself to Nebuchadnezzar and, and restores him and brings him back to his uh, original place. This is Nebuchadnezzar's response. For God's dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing and God does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And here's what he says. And no one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? 
here's our reminder. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. So this situation that's going on in your life right now, the thing that's happening, God has brought it to you. God has brought this into your life. God has orchestrated everything that he needs to to bring this to a point where it's right in front of you and that you're right in the middle of it, you're going through it. And it's God doing his work. Back to Mark 5, verse 37. And Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, so they came to Jairus' house, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. So here's what happens. This girl dies. She would have been laying on the couch in the house, in Jairus' house. They, they don't really do anything. They just kind of lay her down and leave her there. And then all the family, all the neighbors, everyone comes and gathers in around her, and they mourn right there. She's just died, and they're all right there mourning over her. And they cry very loud. They wail very loud. It's, it's a big, big ruckus. It's a big commotion. And when they get tired... What they do is they hire other people to come in and make noise so that everybody knows what's going on. Jairus, being a ruler of the synagogue, being very wealthy, being very well off, would have hired a lot of people to come and weep and mourn for his daughter. So Jesus comes into this, to this commotion, to everything going on, and this is what he says. Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead but sleeping and they laughed at him but he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and they went in where the child was so Jesus comes upon the situation he's told Jairus don't be one who fears but be one who believes and he brings Peter, James and John with him he tells everyone to leave he tells them all to get out and in verse 40 it says and he went in where the child was now i think the greek word here is is really important went in is basically kind of what we would get to the word journeyed they journeyed in to where the daughter was now they were right there they were at the door and they could look inside, and they could see the couch where she laid. They could see it. It was right there, like it's maybe 10 meters away at the most. But the word is that they journeyed there. And whatever you're going through in life right now, whatever your situation is, I've been there too. I remember going through stuff. And it's a journey to get through this. It seems so small after you look back at it, but right now it's a journey and it's hard and you struggle and you fight through everything that's going on to get to where you need to go. When you look back at it, this situation is going to be just a quick flash of your life. It's going to be there and it's going to be over, but right now it's a journey. And the more you go through these trials, the more faith that you'll have for the increasing trials that are going to come your way, for the increasing things that God's going to bring into your life. 
for the situations that God's going to bring. And the sooner that your response to this is to praise God, the more that you're going to grow. And the harder the things that God are, the, the harder the things that God's going to bring into your life, but you are going to go through them and you're going to be more instantly turning to praise towards God. In Psalm 119, uh, verse 71, David says, It was good that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. See, David realized that all the things that were coming down on his life, all the situations that God was bringing him through, was so that he could learn the laws of God, and so that he could understand God's word and better comprehend it and better live it out. Verse 41 in Mark 5. Jesus, taking her by the hand, he says to her, Talitha Kumi, remember what it takes for your problems to go away. This thing that's happening right now, that you're, you're struggling with discontent in your, your finances, in your work, in your school, you're worried about your job, your your you're worried about what job you're going to have, where you're going to go to school, how that's going to play out. You're worried about everything in your future. You're worried about the situation you're in right now. You wish that you had a different situation. You look at other people and think, I would be so much easier if I was just there. Or it would be so much easier for me to give my offerings to God if I made more money. And if I made more money, I would just, I would just give all the extra that I made because I don't need it. You think and you look on those situations. Remember that all it takes... Is for God just to say, it's gone. That's all it takes for God to do it. But there's a reason that it's here. There's a reason that you're going through that. There's a reason that you're struggling with this. And it's to remind you of the gospel. It's to remind you what happened in your heart and the change that took place in your heart. Ephesians 1.19, and I know I've done this verse before. It's one of my favorite verses, so just flip over there, because if you don't have it underlined, you should. Ephesians 1.19 says, What is the immeasurable greatness of His power, of God's power, God the Father's power, toward us who believe, according to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. You see, the work, the power, and the authority that God the Father had over all of the universe to be able to speak life into Christ, that he rose again, that power is the same power, the same authority, the same work that God used in your heart to regenerate it, to heal your sickness, to save you. That's what God did in our hearts. Remember, the gospel doesn't mean that your problems are going to go away. Jesus didn't come to make everything easy. Jesus didn't come to make your problems go away. Jesus came to save sinners. He came to seek and save those who were lost. You see, there will be a day when you can look back on what's going on in your life right now 
where you can look back at your discontentment, where you can look back at your worry, you can look back at, at your mourning and your grief, where you can look back at the situation that you're in right now, and you're going to say, it was good that I was afflicted, that I would learn God's law. And here's what happened in, in verse 42. Jesus says, Talitha Kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking. Remember, God revived your dead heart. You were dead in your sin. You were dead in your trespasses. You didn't know you needed saving. God revealed his son to you through the Holy Spirit and dwelling in your heart. He regenerated it. He healed it. And he saved you. It was all immediate. And you began walking on this journey that is your sanctification. You began down this road where God is going to work in you, work through you, and bring these things into your life that are just going to be reminders to you of the gospel. They're going to bring you back to a place that reminds you that God is the one who saved you, who's the one who saved your heart. And as he does this, and as you go through these situations, our reaction needs to be, and it's very hard to become, praise towards God, where you say, it was good that I was afflicted, that I might learn your statutes. Where you say, it was good that God brought this into my life. Where you say, I'm glad that this happened because it brought me to a place where I have more faith. I better understand who God is. And the opportunity that we have as, as leaders in the church when we meet with you guys and when we talk with you guys to say, I've gone through this too. I understand. And I remember the journey that it was. I remember what it was like going through it then. But I promise you that when you get through it, when you grow and when you're sanctified through it, that you will look back at it and you will be like, it was such a small thing and it was such a small part of my life compared to the gospel. And I understand the gospel. I know the gospel. And it was good that I was afflicted. It was good that God brought this into my life because I know now better who he is. See, God is taking your once spiritually dead heart. He loved you while you were still a sinner, while you had no comprehension and no understanding that you needed to be saved, a father looked at his child and said to Christ, you need to go. He healed the sickness in your heart. He saved you. He regenerated your heart. And he is carrying it on to completion. And in the same way that Jesus raised this girl back from the dead we will be raised with Christ and we look forward to spending eternity in heaven we look forward to being with him to praise him and the thing that I look forward to the most the thing that I think about the most is that in heaven we are going to have the opportunity to work for God to be used by him and everything that we do will be done perfectly it will be done completely. It will be done wholly. Because in heaven, we will be not 
not be trapped in these bodies. We will be not trapped in this flesh where our own desires come in, where our own selfishness comes in, but we will carry to completion every job, every task that God gives us because we will desire sin no more. We will be raised with him and we will be like he is. And here we are now just being reminded of the gospel, being reminded of that through everything that God brings into our life. We'll spend some time in prayer now and just as a reminder, if you need anyone to pray for you, if you need anyone to pray with you, we are here for you. Um, you can email us, you can talk to us after the service. Uh, we would love to be a part of your life. Let's just pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for the gospel. Lord, we thank you that you would send your son to die on a cross to pay for our sins, that the record of our debt would be nailed to the cross. Father, that it would be wiped out. All of our sin, both, both past this, the present sin and the future sin, Father, that it would be gone and that your son would rise from the grave, that he would be raised from the dead, showing his victory. And Father, we thank you that that gospel is just a constant reminder to us that you have full sovereign control over everything that happens in our life. And God, that you bring things into our life to remind us of who you are, that you bring things into our life to sanctify us and to bring us to a place where we are better at praising you, where we are more quick to praise you. And Father, we pray that you would help us make that our desire. Father, that you would work that in our hearts. And Father, we need you to do that. We depend on you to do that because you are the one that saved us. You are the one that healed the sickness inside of us, that healed the sickness in our bodies. And you are the one that will raise us to be with you, to be in your presence. And Father, we pray this through the authority that we have in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.